everyone, and welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen problems and even conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy. Welcome, everyone. Again, I am so glad you are here today. If you are one of our regular listeners, welcome back. And if you are a new friend, we are so glad you found us because we know that we're going to become best friends as we help you get through the muddy waters of managing all the screen time. Most of all, you are not alone anymore. If you've been feeling really isolated and alone with this issue, you have found your people. So let me get started just with a quick little story from yesterday. As you know, we have four children. And the reason why Screen Strong started years ago was because my oldest son was very enamored and obsessed and then eventually became very addicted to video games. And in fact, he dropped out of college that first year and it was very sad. And we have a little book on our website that you can read more about that. But I just wanted to give you that little insight to tell you about something that happened yesterday. So because of Adam's experience, we decided to have a game-free home, which many of you know about and many of you are doing. And so it's so fun for me to see the difference between raising teenagers with video games and all the arguments and all the conflicts and all the dilemmas that happen there, even if the games are not toxic themselves as far as the content, it still was very disruptive to her life. And then the difference between that and just not having it in your house to begin with. So yesterday, my youngest two were going on and on about a certain classical song on the piano and how they discovered a very cool version of one of their favorites written by a contemporary composer. They were so excited unpacking all the nuances about this composer and how they wanted to get more pieces from this artist. I just sat there listening and listening and was so thankful that they are getting so excited about this stuff. Now, when they first started playing piano, do you think this happened overnight? Absolutely not. (laughs) This coach over here, (laughs) me, the parent, my husband, we have our coach's hat on and we went through the rough years of those middle school years where they're complaining and they don't want to practice and they don't want to go to piano. And I just smiled and I just said, I know, I know you don't, but one day you're going to thank me for having you do this. As I sat there and listened, I just thought, "I, I can't, I can't manufacture this. This is something that they, over the past however many, seven years have just become so excited about music. And I know we talk about this a lot in Screen Strong and music is a fabulous replacement for screens because it is truly the gift that keeps giving. So it just made me realize once again, how raising kids in a toxic screen-free environment has been the most wonderful experience with these incredible benefits. We all have exactly the same amount of time to invest in hobbies and relationships and things like art (laughs) and cooking and sports and reading and all these things. So our kids only have a certain amount of very, very, very limited hours to do all these things. And when you decide to fill those hours with non-tech activities, you will be so 
happy. You, the parent, have the responsibility to make this decision. And this is what I realize over and over and over. Your kids will not make this decision on their own. They will never choose to play the piano and practice something hard over a video game or even over social media. They just won't do it. So they need your help and your guidance. And you don't have to force them to do certain things as much as you just have to make it fun and guide your kids away from these negative activities that are just dead in streets. And you have to bring positive ones that become the gifts that keep giving in their life. So we had made it a point to instill this appreciation for the beauty in the world. It is so important for them to see that where there is so much darkness and where the darkness is so easy to access, we made a deliberate point to really bring beauty into their lives. And and I am so sad that we didn't figure this out with our oldest. We talk about it a lot. He has certainly become an incredible advocate for Screen Strong and speaks and does a lot of work with us, but it's still sad because we can't get those hours back. And, you know, the final thing I just want to remind you today is that there's such truth behind the statement that what you decide to let your kids do when they are young will change their life. And it will change it for good or it will change it for bad, but it will change their life. So where they spend their time, their most valuable resource, where they spend their time will decide what they do later in life. When you allow screen entertainment, you're increasing the odds that they will invest in unhealthy activities and start doing more of that later. When you invest in healthy non-tech activities, you will see that those things will become what they choose to do later. I'm telling you this works. If you have young kids, it's so hard for you to imagine, but I want you to trust me on this one. And today we are going to be talking with a therapist about it. So I am so excited to jump to that in a second. I just want to say finally, that you bet I am thrilled that my kids traded all of their video game hours for piano lessons and sports and reading. In fact, there is nothing about video games or social media at this age that I think would be worth the trade from all the other buckets of time during the stage of development. One day when their discernment is mature and their buckets are full of all these good things, then they'll be able to enjoy the benefits of technology more We are truly seeing the benefits of the Screen Strong lifestyle every day, and I know that you will too. So let's introduce our guest. His name is Eric Goldfield, and he has been a therapist here locally that I have been referring people to for quite a while, and I am so excited for you to hear from him because he has such an incredible way to to articulate how to help your kids with this. So Eric, welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about your background. Thank you, Melanie, and good morning. Hope everyone out there is doing well. So yeah, I have a background primarily in, you know, working with kids, adolescents and teens. I've worked as a school-based counselor and then in the private practice realm as a uh, outpatient therapist. So I've also had the pleasure of knowing Melanie for quite some years and and working with her in, in some events and, and things such as that. So yeah, as of right now, we're working, like I said, primarily with adolescents, teens, and young adults. And one of the biggest issues is, of course, uh, screen addiction that I come across on a regular basis. Let me just ask you, in your practice, what would you say now, the percentage, because I talked to different counselors, I mean, would you say, I mean, it's over 50% of the oh, issues? Yeah, well over 50%. And, you know, you can look at 
COVID as being one of the um, catalysts for this, but also um, it's just been that way um, in the generational gap. Uh, a lot of kids nowadays are growing up with screens, and so there's screen-based issues and deficiencies in the realm of social skills primarily. Well, let's talk about video games. So I was just talking about video games, and Eric, it is just so fun. Let me tell you, it is just so fun for me to sit and watch the benefits now that we're getting. I know this lifestyle might not be for everybody, but you know what? You can't miss. You just can't miss when you fill your time with piano. <laughs> no, no. You, you talk a lot about piano. Piano is great, and I grew up playing musical instrument. Piano was actually the instrument that I played, and, and violin as well. I was never good at violin, so don't ask me to play. I'll, I'll ruin okay. it. But, but it, it, it's so rewarding, and it's great for neurodevelopment as well. And you're talking about not getting those hours back. And I guess I'll start off with a little anecdote. I, I was out at dinner the other day, and I saw uh, two families, one of which everyone was on their screens, and the other which had no screens out, and the kids are interacting and talking, and everybody has smiles on their face. The other one, their faces were completely, you know, flat affect, no expression. And when it was time to leave, the kids at that table became angry, started complaining. To me, they got nothing out of that experience. And you're talking about not getting the hours back. Whereas over here, the juxtaposition of these two families, one of which is getting a lot of interaction, smiles on their face and a pleasant dinner experience. The other one of which are just angering each other and not interacting at all. Yeah, it is an investment. You know, um, yeah. that's what's hit me more than anything after raising four kids is that everything you do um, with your time, you know, and of course your kids too, is an investment in something. Yeah. And so we decided to just have a game-free home because I obviously <laughs> failed big time <laughs> trying to yeah. manage video games in our house. Yeah. So talk to us about video games a little bit, kind of unpack what you're your take is? Well, you know, I, <clears throat> I played a lot of video games in the past. It's very easy to get wrapped up in the world of video games. It's reward based dopamine flooding, readily accessible, it's interactive, and it's entertaining. And it's very difficult to find something like that at your grasp, especially, you know, where there's inclement weather when everyone else is doing it. And you could just drive down a, a street, any neighborhood um, in, in today's in today's society and notice that a majority of the kids aren't outside even on a beautiful day. Why is that? Well, I'm not going to point the finger, but I, I, essentially I am. Video games, primarily. You know, so I, I encounter a lot of issues with screen addiction, primarily based around video games. And there's a lot of dangers associated with that. What are some of the things that you see by the time patients come to your office? I mean, what do you see some of the things that have happened? Well, there's a, really a toxic relationship between the kids and the parents. There's also been, usually at that point, some inappropriate interactions with strangers via video games. Also, in, in, inappropriate screen-based uses just based on the rating system itself. And so that that's a, a lot to unpack there because, you know, they've had negative conditioned responses towards their parents by now. Parents will come to me and they said, they say they hate me all the time. And, you know, that's, that's not a common thing to say to your parents on a regular basis, right? I mean, once in a while as teenagers, I think we've gone to that extreme sometimes. But on a regular basis, to have that animosity towards your parents is really something. Also, the, the the dangers associated with interacting with strangers via video games. I mean, it's so easy to be groomed when video games itself is a toxic online environment. A lot of trash talking, negativity, profanity. And then here comes somebody, a predator. I mean, it's a perfect breeding ground for uh, predatory behavior. I, I love what you just said, even though I hate what you just said. I love it at the same time. <laughs> just to educate parents, this condition, negative response. You know what? That is such a wonderful way to to say what, as a parent, I have been feeling about video games for so many years, this does not bring out the best 
in your relationship with your child. Instead, it brings out this weird, negative, like battle. You're con- you're like in this constant battle and then it just grows and then it kind of bleeds over to other areas of your life. And when a child is on a video game, they feel so empowered and they feel very disrespectful toward not just their parents, but just the outside world because everything's so lame, you know, because the yeah, game is so exciting. That's true. When you're coming off of a stimulation such as that, where you're getting heavy amounts of dopamine and adrenaline, and then you put it down and you're walking around your house and there's people around or you can go have dinner. I mean, it's it's like going from a roller coaster to having a tea party. I mean, yeah, it might be pleasant, but it's going to be boring by comparison, right? And on top of that, then you throw in the component of whose voice do you hear telling you to get off that stimulation, right? Right. So it's kind of like going back to classical conditioning. If you Everybody's heard the uh, tale about Pavlov's dogs, right? You hear the little bell and then they start to salivate. Well, you hear mom's voice and you start to get angry, right? So that can kind of bleed over into other aspects of your life. And you really don't want that as a parent or a child. You know what? Every show I learn something new and and this is just maybe the new thing I learned today so quickly here. You're right. You're conditioning your kids to then every time they hear your voice, they're annoyed with you. Even if you're just saying something nice, like let's go get a new pair of shoes or something like they're like, what? I have to do that. You know, I never thought about it that way, that conditioning. That's fascinating. And I think the reason why it's, I, I think the reason why it happens is because the game is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're, you're sitting there, you're getting, like I said, so much stimulation and it's so adrenaline based and especially first person shooters. I'm not going to sit here and kind of differentiate between the games too much. But, you know, if you're playing a very adrenaline based game or really any video game, yeah. here comes your parent and they're telling you, OK, well, you know, let's go outside and, you know, or let's go on an air or let's just come down for dinner. I cooked you dinner. I took the time to cook you dinner. And now you're yelling at your parent, yeah. uh, essentially. So then what happens is when you're not on screens, even when you're not on screens, and you hear your parents say something, you're going to respond aggressively and assertively to that because you're going to perceive it subconsciously as a threat. And therefore, it's going to be a very toxic kind of interaction. It's going to lead to a lot of animosity. And teenagers don't need any help in that department as it is, but that just sends it over the edge. And then they end up in your office. Then they end up in my office, which I don't mind. I like meeting new people, but that part of it is avoidable. So what do you say? What do you say to a parent? If you had a parent, um, um, let's just say a mom sitting in your office with a 14-year-old son who has increasingly gotten very inappropriate to his mom. Well, first of all, I say, you know, it's time to take a break. You know, we, we need to back off from screens for a little bit. I don't advise a lot of screen time to begin with, but obviously when it's come to that point, a break is good, right? Taking a nice long break from screens, you know, uh, Victoria Dunkley talks about resetting your brain two to four weeks, really essentially minimum just without screens to kind of get that relationship back to where it was. And then it's up to you if you want to reintroduce him or not. He might not want to, but a break is essential. Also, if you were at at some point to reintroduce screens, not having your voice be the reminder to get off of them. No reminders, period, right? Like it's a flat, you know, you have that time. And when that time is up, the screens turn off or you pull the plug or you just turn it off because if you're reminding them, all you're doing is annoying them with your voice. Wow. What a night! <laughs> like I, that's just kind of mind blowing. You're exactly right. And yeah. so, in in my experience with ten years of working with parents, I I really have found very few parents that can 
not stay on that roller coaster with their kids. They all get on the roller coaster with them. They're up, they're down, they're up, they're down, they're mad. They're just constantly mad. Everybody's mad. And, and so honestly, with the way games are today, I mean, they're not playing Pac-Man anymore. Right. So with the game, with the games today, it's just better to just put this huge indefinite pause on it. And your kids are not going to be sheltered. And I'm going to talk about that in another show, but they're not going to be sheltered. They're going to know about video games. They're going to know all about them, but they just don't have to have it be part of the thing that they're filling their time with and filling their buckets with. Because remember, like we said earlier, you only have just a very finite amount of time. And are we going to really invest in something that makes our kids even hate us? Well, right. Why, why would you want to do that? Right. I mean, you, you know, you talk about an indefinite pause. You might not want screens to come back. You might see, hey, look, here, here is um, a real positive, happier child or teen. We have a better relationship. I mean, why, why do you, why do you want to go back then at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Right? And usually there's other things going on, right? That of course, you know about just behind the scenes. And so nobody comes into this issue with a clean slate. They already are dealing with family things and emotional pain and different things. And so this just kind of adds, you know, insult to the injury. But one thing you just mentioned a minute ago was about the game rating. So at Screen Strong, we talk a lot about toxic screens. We are not an anti-screen organization or necessarily screen-free organization, but we are toxic screen-free and the toxic screens are video games, social media, right. and pornography. Those are the three things that we really talk about a lot. So with video games, I want you to just talk a second before we move on about the rating systems. So, you know, every, every video game out there has essentially one of... Well, really, I did six ratings, although five of them are valid, meaning one is a rating pending rating, which isn't essentially a rating at all. So there's five ratings. There's E for everyone, which is essentially usually for um, sports related games, you know, cartoony games, that sort of thing. There's E10 plus, which is, you know, more so if there's some kind of cartoon violence or gore or something, then they add the 10 plus uh, element to it. There's the T for teen, which those are most of your, uh, a lot of your shooters, a lot of your RPG role-playing games um, are teens. And then there's M for mature, which would be your like Rainbow Six Sieges, Mortal Kombat, that sort of thing. And then you have adult-only games, which, you know, those are more rare, but um, yeah, you definitely don't want, I don't know why anyone would want to really play that, but definitely not your kids. It's really interesting because Fortnite, of course, is a really popular game. And that's rated T mm-hmm. for teen. Right. Do you know what that T is? It? Do you know what exact age that is? I had it here. That's 13. Okay. So it's yeah. rated T for teen and it's for 13. So what's fascinating is so many more younger kids play Fortnite than 13-year-olds. That is true. You know, a lot of a lot of younger kids play that game. And just to let you know that every rating on a game, I mean, that's the baseline, right? So you have your rating, which is to essentially tell parents like, look, don't buy anything mature for, you know, a, a young teen or a child. Probably want to, you know, have that conversation about teen games as well. However, the toxicity isn't just in the rating system. The toxicity comes from online interactions, right? So any online interaction you have is not going to be rated. For instance, you can get on Fortnite and you can get on a team or whatever and you have a headset. The other people can be saying all kinds of stuff, anything they want. And it's I'll tell you, it's usually not teen rated, meaning the online interactions. And and you'll see 
in, in the little, um, little fine print, so to speak, that online interactions aren't rated. Every game will say that it's from the E games to the, to the M games. And essentially, those are the most toxic interactions because there you'll have people saying all kinds of things, every word that they just learned, things that they saw on YouTube. It all comes out in these online interactions. So that's really what parents need to be vigilant about. You know, that just reminds me, I had a mom a couple of years ago tell me that her, at the time he was nine years old, boy, was playing Fortnite. And I just kept thinking, okay, you're not even supposed to be playing that until you're 13. And that's according to Fortnite. Like that's according to the gaming companies. So, you, right. you know, our standard isn't even as high as what the gaming companies are. But she said that her son was in the some kind of chat room talking. I don't know if it was Discord. I don't remember which chat room it was, but they were talking all about Fortnite. It was all these Fortnite players and they're all in there. And one of the older kids was in there and he was sharing very inappropriate pictures of his girlfriend. I didn't even know you could do that. He was on a platform where he was sharing. Oh, yeah. And so there was all, it was very pornographic in the sense that the girlfriend was naked. (laughs) So, I mean, it was so disturbing. And she said, but I was really proud of my nine-year-old because he told that boy to get off and not to share those pictures anymore. And I thought, oh, there's something really weird about being proud of your kid for doing that. I mean, I guess, see, I think as, as, as a culture and as parents, we hear these things and we're like, oh, isn't it so great that my son told the guy not to post naked pictures of his girl? And I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, back up. Look at this big picture. What are you saying? You're saying that you think this is okay, that your kid is in this platform with all these other older kids and it's not okay. You, we would right. never let our nine-year-old go play with a bunch of 20-year-olds at the arcade. I mean, we just wouldn't do that. Right. And that's kind of the mindset that parents get stuck in, right? Well, my kid knows how to set boundaries. My kid's mature. Would you let your mature child get into a car with an unknown man? Would you go up to them if they were playing in a sandbox with a shirtless man smoking a cigar? It's like, where do you set the boundaries yourself as the parent? It's not just about your child being able to be mature in the interaction. You don't want to put them in that situation to begin with. And that's where catfishing, establishing emotional bonds with imaginary or very real people happens. And to your point, yeah, you can in any game, there's a chat function and there's chat rooms available message forums and there you can send links to people so if you wanted if for instance some older man wanted to send a link to his private channel or ask a link for the other person's private channel you can exchange all that information in the chat function right in in that sense you can kind of be exposed to all kinds of stuff so there's so much more to it oh yeah i I mean and just when you think oh okay i found a game that is you know for everyone all this other stuff happens that you don't even know about. And to this mom of this nine-year-old, I, cause she, she kept saying how mature he was. I'm like, that is not maturity. I mean, I'm sorry, but just because your child does one thing that you think seems mature does not mean they're mature. Their, their brain is like Swiss cheese. You know, there's holes everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not fully filled in yet. And so I did actually tell her, I said, well, in about two or three years, he's, he's not going to be telling those people to take those pictures out. He's going to be very interested in those pictures. So what you think is mature at nine, this is like a trick. I think Eric, I think it's a trick that developmentally our kids look so smart and mature when they're young. And then all of a sudden they hit puberty and they take that U-turn. And I think the trick is that, you know, nature knows that we need to keep feeding them. So we need to, we need to have these blind spots. 
Right. Well, I mean, you want to protect your children, right? You also want to be proud of your children. And that's where the kind of, I think the problem arises. A lot of times parents want to, you know, share stories about how their child overcame a predator or was able to be responsible and set boundaries on his own. But then why are you putting them in that situation where they have to do that in the first place, right? So at, at some point it falls on the parent as well. And I don't want to blame, you know, uh, a parents here on this one. However, you know, that awareness factor of, okay, I'm putting my child in a situation where they're being exposed to this stuff. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should, you know, pull pull the reins back a little bit. I take the full blame, I guess you'll call it. Maybe we need to call it responsibility of what happened to my son. My husband and I allowed all this stuff. We didn't know what we were doing. And and I, I mean, I hate to say blame, but it's not our kid's fault. So we're the one that put it and allowed it you know, in our house. So I think parents do need to take that responsibility, just like a coach, you know, when your team wins a championship, it's, it's the team who did it. But when your team loses the championship, it's the coach's fault. Right. Right. And we, we just have to realize that's why we have to think ahead and use our fully developed brains to make the best decisions for our kids and, and just quit making excuses for all this stuff. It will take you so much more energy to try to figure all this stuff out than just hitting the pause button and saying, Hey, we're going to do something else instead. I know it's hard to get your kids off of video games. Trust me. I've been helping parents do this for 10 years, but we do have a detox on our website. We do have a lot of help in our Facebook group screen strong families. And we are opening a forum really soon on our site to deal with this even more. So we will be here for you to help you pull it back and get them off. You you may need to actually go to a therapist in the initial stages if your child is really immersed and dependent, because there will be some other issues that come out when they go through withdrawals. But Eric is such a, a wonderful therapist to be able to help us when we have local situations here. Eric, do you take out-of-town people on Zoom? Depends. Um, You know, if as long as they're in the state of North Carolina or initially so for the intake. Okay. I do find that face-to-face is the most effective. However, you know, not everybody's able to do that. So I try to be accommodating where I can. Yeah. Yeah. We need more therapists like you. All right. So let's quickly shift over to the other issue that I've really wanted you to unpack for us today. And that is the issue of screens and social skills and the negative impact that screens are having on face-to-face and, you know, that in-person social skill development for teenagers specifically. Right. So, I mean, I'm sure as you are well aware, as most of us perhaps, that social skills in, in general took a dip due to COVID because everybody was kind of isolated. However, in that time, people were still talking to each other on screens. My thing is you're not getting the same kind of skill development as you would with a face-to-face interaction, the nonverbals, the eye contact, the communication that you would in, in a face-to-face interaction is vastly different than what you're going to encounter on screen-based interactions, right? So you're not getting that oxytocin that they call it the love hormone, but it's essentially the social chemical that you get from interacting with people face to face, right? And it yeah. also helps develop skills. You're you're sitting there shouting out absurdities or profanity and sentence fragments on a headset, as opposed to, well, I'm giving take in a conversation, right? So there was a huge dip in social skills for, I'd say, everyone, most noticeably the um, kids and the young adolescents for the past two years, thanks to COVID. But that's mostly screen based because you're still interacting on screens. You're not getting that oxytocin. You're not getting that in-person skill building. 
So now I've seen, you know, primarily one of the things that I do with a lot of clients is we work on social skills and social confidence too. You know, this was so interesting when you told me this, that you have groups of, right, of kids that you practice. How do you work on social skills? How do you do that? Right. So, you know, there's many components to the social skills. Usually there's um, some social anxiety there, some lack of social confidence. Then there's actual skills themselves from, you know, entering into a conversation, joining a group conversation and how to leave a conversation. A lot of people have a fear of approaching a stranger in various situations. Well, strangers, since we're on the topic of screens, let me let me uh, let me qualify that statement. Uh, another peer yeah. and starting a conversation and or joining a group conversation. So how do I do that? What are they going to think of me? Fear of judgment, fear of rejection. So we work on that component of the social anxiety as well as the skill building in specific ways of how to interact with people because you know, going back to the screens, that's not the typical way you would interact with somebody. You're not going to shout out at a person, you know, five feet away from you. Hey, you got to kill that guy behind you. And if you do that, people are going to notice you and probably call the police. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, this is so fascinating as you're talking about this, because first of all, I want to say, I want to say two things. First of all, this oxytocin that you're talking about, the love chemical, I am not kidding when I say this, but when my kids have their friends over here and they're boys, I watch Eric, you can like Mm -hmm. see it. I mean, when they are all together and they're talking and who knew boys could even talk so much. That's that's the first thing, you know, because my oldest, I, I never experienced this. And so with the younger two boys, they would have their friends over and they would all just be talking together the same time. And I'm thinking, gosh, who knew boys could talk so much, but as they're talking and you can just see it, it's like their body language and their facial expressions. And they are so loving this interaction. It's not like it's just a flat affect and they're sitting there talking. It's like, they are really getting into the relationships and the conversations Mm -hmm. and they're joking. And every now and then somebody will throw something at somebody if they say something silly or they're laughing and you can just watch this emotional thing take place between them. It is the most fascinating thing and they crave it. They crave this in-person time together. And by putting them on a screen or putting that screen in the way to just interrupt all that, they are not getting the vibe, you know, they're not getting it. And I think over time, you're right, COVID just really put a big deficit in everybody's life. I mean, there's just a huge deficit in that social collateral, whatever you call it. And then the other thing that you just said about that awkwardness of talking to a new person for the first time in our course, we have an online parent course. It's also on our website. We have this thing in there. We teach about Friday fun nights and it's recommended for sixth and seventh grade. And it's just sort of a template for how to get kids at your house. And we usually do six boys and six girls just to get them used to doing what exactly you just said. Like I, I didn't even think about it until just the second, but it is so important for them to get over that awkwardness of actually starting a conversation with someone right. their age, you know, yeah, and then once you get going, you know, you gain your confidence. And of course there's other skills that we go over in the group conflict resolution. I mean, usually conflict resolution on screens is somebody shouting profanity and getting off the call. Whereas in a regular setting, you you don't want to do that. So you have to kind of build some awareness, right? And that's what it teaches you. 
But to your point, interacting with people face to face, there's nothing like it. And then afterwards, you get that feeling that you truly connected with somebody. And yeah. that, that's what's really good. Also, that, that same chemical we're talking about regulates your sleep, hunger, thirst, and emotion and your emotional reaction. So if you're playing video games, a lot of times you're not getting a lot of sleep. You, you can skip meals, right? And then you're dysregulated emotionally. Whereas if you're interacting with people face to face, you know, getting food and, 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 and knowing your body's circadian rhythm is more of a natural thing. And it's just a more healthy way of living. I remember after our kids were in sixth grade and we, we had just started doing the Friday fun nights and having the kids over. I remember the next day it was on a Saturday. I just remember this so well. And they were in sixth grade. One of them just looked at me and said, mom, yesterday was the best day of my life. Wow. <laughs> I yeah. thought that was so telling. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, just having all our friends over here. And that was, that really stuck for me. It really made me understand how important that social interaction is, that face-to-face social interaction. So talk about the myth about the social interaction on video games and smartphones. I mean, yeah, I know they're not in person, but isn't it really still filling their social needs? I mean, that's what everybody told us it was going to do. It's fulfilling the need to feel included, right? But that's a myth. The, The myth is that I will be excluded from my peer group or my school, or I'll be excommunicated if I don't have a phone or video games or some screen to communicate regularly with on social media, right? But Mm -hmm. the myth is actually you become more isolated like that. So you'll be, you know, usually in your room or kind of disconnected in your wherever environment you're at, not making relationships and not connecting with people. So you'll be connected, quote unquote, with, you know, thousands of people at any given second. However, you're not building any meaningful relationships with really any of them. And then the also the, the the flip side to that coin is when something goes wrong on social media, I mean, it's a bullying impact that is far greater than most in-person interactions, meaning one person gets bullied, everybody jumps on it. Then there's some heinous thing being posted about this individual or in some cases even incriminating uh, photos or whatnot. And their life collapses because that is their social, that is their whole social network that just collapsed in around them. And that is devastating for a lot of kids. Whereas if you're building relationships in person, that wouldn't happen. You know, uh, the the other thing that's just making, that I'm reminded of when you say that is how important it is for your kids to have different pockets of friend groups too. So, you know, they have all this stuff happening on social media and they're all mushed in together. It's really important for your kids to be able to walk away from all that and have friends like in their neighborhood and friends at the Y and friends, you know, in their piano class and right. fr- you know, just friends on their team, like to have different pockets of friends. So when one pocket sort of disappoints you and they will, because especially during adolescence, the amount of criticism that goes on, I'm always very floored with how mean kids are and talking just really normal, good kids. They, they're just ruthless and they're mean and they say really mean things. And so when one group kind of lets you down, then you have another group to go to, but if it's all on social media, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work that way. And as far as video games, my oldest spent all of his growing up years on video games, supposedly with all of these quote friends, Mm -hmm. right? And I will tell you that today he doesn't have any of those friends anymore. (laughs) I mean, he, Video game friends are not real friends that stick by your side through thick and thin. When he went off to the military for five years, none of those 
people really, maybe one of them, I don't know, I'm just going to make up maybe one of them stayed in touch with him, but they didn't have that foundation for friendship. Like you just said a minute ago that social media and video games are not where you build friendships. I mean, you may play, it's like sandbox play, like a toddler playing in a sandbox, you know, side by side, but it's not where you actually build relationships. So when it's all said and done, if your child is on social media a lot during adolescence, and if that's where all their friends are, or if they're on video games and that's where all their friends are, when it's all over and when they graduate from high school, they're probably really not going to have those same friends. And so what did they do? What did they invest in? I always tell my boys, if, if you can find one best friend your whole life, you're blessed more than most. So I think it's really important for, for, for parents to orchestrate their life so they can have more opportunities to make better friends. Totally. I think, you know, and you hit the nail on the head. If you have video game friends, then once you get off that video game or you choose a different video game, it's very unlikely that they will follow you and continue being your friends. Or if you decide to not play video games anymore, you won't have them as friends. Whereas a friend is somebody you do several different things with. You have, you share common interests, you go places, you do things. So if you stop doing one thing, you can still maintain that friendship. Whereas once you turn that video game system off, they're gone. Uh, yeah, because you spend all that time investing on that platform and not right. in real life. And, you know, you don't have memories either. I mean, think of all the fun childhood memories that we had of just doing silly things with our friends. I mean, are, are kids really going to say, oh, remember that time I got 100 likes on that post? Or you know, remember that time we were playing Minecraft? And whatever? no, they're not going to remember that. It's so sad. But they're going to remember all those experiences they had when they were in person with you know, other real people doing, doing fun things with this new format that we're doing on our site. I just want to remind everybody that we're putting all these ideas up there. So we are going to give you so many ideas of how to develop fun in person things to do with different ages. So just hang on, we're getting to it. It's getting really close. We're almost there. So Eric, um, as we start to wrap up, I'm going to put you on the spot. Go, <laughs> just, ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, pop quiz here. So I just thought of this. I would love for you to tell our audience, what are the three tips that you would tell a parent who's sitting in your office or maybe prevention tips or just anything that you would want to say to a parent about this issue with teenagers and young teens and even tweens and screen use? First tip is, you know, and that's not that bad. I thought when you said on the spot, I was, I was, whoa, hey, okay. but yeah, no, I would, uh, I would obviously suggest, you know, taking a break, you know, for, you know, for many reasons, the first and most important of which is if you're not addicted to screens and or screens aren't a problem, then it shouldn't be that big of a deal to take a break in the first place. The only reason somebody would be against taking a break is if there is a true addiction there. Second, you know, mix it up a little bit, right? So if screens are a big thing for you, Make sure you're still getting those other, I call them happy chemicals, right? Endorphins and oxytocin, like going outside in nature, getting some exercise, interacting with people face to face. And then if you wanted to include video games at that point, it would cease to be that big of a deal. Three is set firm limits, right? So, so many times parents say, okay, you can have a little time now to get on video games. Well, a little time, if I have no concept of time because I'm overstimulated, what does that mean? Now I'm just putting myself in a position to engage in conflict with my child. So firm limits and have them either turn it off themselves or you just, you know, turn off the whole, I mean, I, I know this is, sounds a little extreme, but shut the power off or whatever you need to do mm -hmm. without reminding them with your voice 
to condition that negative response. Yeah. The whole thing about your voice is fascinating to me. Do you think it's possible for kids to grow up not playing video games? It's very possible. And you talk about there's communities out there with sports, with, you know, board game science, um, you know, just being outside, doing things outside of screens. There still is, there still are pockets. And I think they're growing more and more as awareness increases about screen usage and the dangers associated with it. So mm -hmm. it is very possible and it's healthier, you know, and I'm not sitting here trying to villainize screens in general because, you know, unless you're Amish, you're going to have a screen in front of you at some point in time. Sure. But it's about setting limits and not allowing it to take over your life. And for kids, especially like being very mindful of what screens actually do. Well, and again, we make the distinction between educational uses. Like we've never had any parent come tell me their kids addicted to Excel or, you know, building whatever <laughs> right. spreadsheets. Right. That's why we recommend no toxic screens, which include video games. What about phones? Do you think that it is possible for, and I mean possible, I mean even desirable for kids to grow without smartphones? I know we have to have top text phones here and there, but. I wouldn't give my kids a smartphone, but you know, it, it, it's just, there's too many things going on there. It becomes too overpowering. And then that is their, that is their thing. So if you don't want them to have a smartphone at the dinner table at bedtime, and you're setting all these limits around this and that, and this and that think about how you're setting yourself up to the, the bad guy in, in a multitude of different scenarios. Whereas you could be the bad guy, you know, just once and say, okay, no smartphones. Do you think 18 is too long to wait? I, I don't. I mean, you know, look, your, your brain isn't fully developed till you're 25, 26. Yeah. You know, there's a reason the drinking age is 21. I mean, you know, everybody's like, well, those phones aren't as dangerous as drinking. I would disagree. If you're on a phone while driving, they can be just as dangerous, right? So like that addiction component, I would encourage parents to wait as long as they possibly can. Yeah. And you decide as a parent and yeah. as that coach. And, you know, we made the decision that we will never buy any of our kids smartphones. I don't care how old they are. That <laughs> Right. That's just right. easy. You that, that's on you, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's, they've, they have a laptop where they can do anything they need to on there. So, um, it's just the smaller, of course, the, the harder it is to manage and they can play video games on those smartphones. Yes. yes so, um, okay. As we close, all right. We have parents out there, they're listening and they're, they're just like, Oh my gosh, what have I done? I, my kids are now conditioned to get mad at me when they hear me talk. And because of all the conflict that they've had in their homes, whether it's over video games or smartphones, what word of encouragement can you offer the parents who wish they were sitting in your office right now? <laughs> what encouragement can you offer? I, I can first say that screens are not irreversible, right? So the, the fact that it might be a toxic relationship at this point, or there might be a lot of animosity, it's not irreversible, right? And, and you're not alone in making these quote unquote mistakes because a lot of parents, in fact, most parents have at some point, well, every parent's made mistakes, but most parents have made a lot of mistakes regarding screens. So you're not alone in that sense. And you're not alone in, in finding support outside of screens, like your organization Screen Strong, and there's other you know parent groups that pride themselves on a, a screen-free kind of lifestyle, or at least minimizing screen usage in some way. And that's becoming more popular. So there are outlets out there. And there are um, ways in which you can kind of reverse this. I love that. I love that there's that, that there's hope. Oh, there's there's always hope. Yeah. And every minute, I mean, even if just your child is 15, and you can cut out these video game hours, even now, you're, you know, every minute that you save, I guess, is going to be better than doing nothing at all. Totally. It's never too late. 
just filling their tank with other beautiful, positive things. You know, so no matter how old your kid is, I love that, that it's not irreversible, that when we know better, we do better. So what's hard is when we know better and then we can't seem to, um, to fix it. And that's what Screen Strong is here for. And therapists like Eric, thank you so much for sharing. I'm sure that you're going to be getting some phone calls here locally after this podcast airs, but thank you so much for your time today and for sharing and would love to bring you back to talk about some other harder issues that you deal with in your office. Um, One that keeps popping in my mind is the issue of pornography and the issue of self-harm and those types of things. And we would love to have you back. So thanks for coming. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you for having me. And it's always a pleasure. I hope everyone enjoyed the show today as much as I did. I just love talking to Eric and it's just really fun to kind of get insights from people that are on that front line in the weeds with kids and when they're struggling with these next issues that happen after we get too immersed in our screens. Our parent online course is available for you to start a small group at your school or in your neighborhood or even at your church. If you want to ask us more questions about a bulk rate on that, let us know. The online course is just excellent to to use as a discussion tool, kind of like a book club. Remember to get support from like-minded families by going to our Screen Strong Families group. Again, keep an eye out for our announcement about the forum that's going to be put together on our site really soon. What's your homework? Okay, your homework is to tell five friends today about this podcast and about what Screen Strong is doing. And also, if you are seeing a therapist or if your kid does have a counselor, please tell them about Screen Strong. We have some discount pricing for therapists also to use our course to help educate their patients. So if you have a physician or a therapist or counselor or someone out there, so think about even the counselors at your school, about the guidance counselors and whatnot to share with them what Screen Strong is doing to reverse all of the conflict that parents are having. Also start planning some get-togethers. Now we're still at the beginning of the school year. Start planning some get-togethers with your kids and their friends so they can start experiencing the real joy in getting together in person. And they can start seeing the difference between, hey, I just spent two hours on my screen, you know, trying to socialize, but this in-person thing really does work a lot better. We have to condition them to do that. And then finally, if your child does not play a musical instrument, I highly recommend just starting to research that a little bit. It is such a wonderful thing. Now I do know it does take time and you don't see instant results, but it it's so wonderful because it helps our kids build grit. And Hey, I'll keep you posted on the new composer (laughs) that I'm going to be hearing about even, even more this week as my kids get this new music. Remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you figure it all out. So until next time, stand up for your kids Stand out from the crowd and stay strong.